Unfortunately, by breaking quarantine, you risk everybody's life. Welcome to the Sunday Movie Marathon. <laughs> how, are we all, how are we all doing? That wasn't a movie quote. <laughs> no, it was just from yeah, the it's, news. It's from Alien. <laughs> it's what? <laughs> it's from Alien. I thought it'd be quite relevant. Is it? Oh. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen Alien in a... Alien or Aliens? Alien. Yeah, I haven't watched that movie in a while. Probably no. one of the greatest horror movies ever made. Yeah, I'd say it's one great. of just the greatest films ever made, generally. Yeah, it is. It what year was that made? Nineteen eighty. Seventy-seven. I think. Seventy-nine. I think. It Seventy-seven. Is. Well, there you go, Max. There's the late seventies. There's a film that I like that was before two thousands. We're getting there. And sure. Aliens was another great movie that I really enjoyed. But Alien Indeed Three and Alien Resurrection were just dog shite. Yeah, they they suck. Chris, did you ever see the um behind the scenes of Alien Three where they were originally gonna just put the dog in a mart in a, a dog in a <laughs> alien costume? Yeah. It was so ridiculous. Yeah. It's weird. Like awful. They had, and then they just they had, CGI'd it. That was directed by David Fincher, who's a great director now. That was his first film and it's just watching it, I can't believe how just went wrong. Yeah, they definitely... That was definitely the downturn of the Alien series, and it was the third movie in. Yeah. That's quite a movie to bag for your debut, though. Yeah, yeah, coming off those two mammoths of movies, Alien and Aliens. I still think that the way that they numbered those first two films is so genius. Yeah, it's great. They didn't number them. Well, it's exactly that. It was Alien and then Aliens. Even more of them. Because there are yeah, actually yeah, multiple exactly. aliens in it. And it's a film. Yeah. They did They did that with the first sure Predator is. film as well. There was like two Predators or something in it, so they called it Predators. Yeah, but the only, but the only good Predator movie was the first one. Yeah. Second one, maybe. Um, anyway, enough about the Alien and Predator anyway. movies. Yeah, we got some movies to talk about. And our first one is from Chris. Indeed it is. So we worked out kind of all three of our films are kind of all about isolation in a way. And Room is definitely a film about isolation. Room directed by Lenny Abrahamson, based off a novel... The, um, the actual author of the novel also did the screenplay, so I think she literally just took the novel and then shortened it down to a two-hour film. So it's about Brie Larson. Yeah, came out like five years before. So the film's about Brie Larson, who, um, with her five-year-old son, has been held captive in a shed. And she can't get out. So she basically creates this fantasy world for her son. So he doesn't grow up having a shit childhood. But when he turns five, she realizes that he's old enough to learn the truth. And together they escape. And he experiences the outside world for the first time as she has a mental breakdown because of the horrors of being held captive. So a fun, light-hearted film I picked. Oh yeah, yeah. I was laughing throughout all of it. <laughs> yeah, 
Um, I love this film. What did you guys think of it? I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. Is that your professional opinion? <laughs> That's my subjective opinion. As a co-host of movie. a movie review podcast, your your review is, yeah, I enjoyed it. <laughs> it was a good movie. Um, I don't think I've seen many Brie Larson movies. I've seen like Captain Marvel, I guess. For a and, fucking um, reason. She was in Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. I'm sure I've probably seen her in a couple more things, but I can't really yeah. remember off the top of my head. But this was like probably the best performance I've seen from her. Yeah, part of the reason I picked this film is because I know all of us don't like Captain Marvel, and I know I don't think any of us really like Brie Larson like outside of film, like just how like a public persona and stuff. But I think she's a great actress in the right role, and I think this is probably her best performance. I've only seen her in two films: Captain, well, Captain Marvel: The Avenger, Avengers series. And this, and I will say that this is definitely her best role that she's done that I've seen. I'll obviously have to watch more films with her in it. I liked the story of the film more than the actual acting that she had done. But she was really convincing, and it was a really good film. And her her acting did enhance it, but it was just one of those things where you could have replaced her. And I think we were talking about this in the chat as well at some point that there's not a lot of movie roles nowadays where you can't just pick an actor up, throw them away, put someone else in and get the exact same movie with the exact same feelings. Um, and I don't know whether it's just because I don't like Brie Larson that I always have a negative opinion on her in movies. But, yeah. That was it. <laughs> I think she still delivers a really good performance. Like, um... Mate, she, it, it, she's a very good actress in this movie. Like, very good. Yeah, it's like um how she deals with the trauma or trauma after being freed. Like, cause I originally thought the movie was gonna be an hour and a half of them trying to escape, doing like one or two times um, attempts of escaping, and then they'd eventually get out, and that would be the movie. I was really fucking shocked when halfway through. So you know when she like obviously Jack fakes dead, and he is, is freed and goes like to get the people. And then the police find her and like, bring her out. Originally, I was half expecting her to wake up and for it to just not go through. Yeah. And for it to be like a cop out. But then obviously when it was true and then like the second half of the film is really just her dealing with the ramifications of what actually transpired was really surprising. I thought she played that, that part of the film really well. It was really good. Yeah, I think yeah, she does definitely. I was going to say, I think she does a good job like displaying like a young mother as well, especially in the first half where you can tell she's trying to like keep a brave face so she doesn't like show her emotional side quite as much. I think that's really good. And she actually does like feel like a mother, which I think is really good. I love the dynamic and relationship between her and the, her son as well. Yeah. Jake. Jacob Tremblay, a, a very big child star, known for being very cute, I think. Um, I got to give props to like the structuring of it. Connor, uh, Connor t- touched on it. Pardon me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Connor touched on the the structuring of it. I I too was sort of thinking, well, this is kind of a premise that could take place over like an hour and a half. Maybe it was an hour. Um, it was half an hour too long. Perhaps it could have been. 
I didn't, I did feel the length a little bit, but overall I had a great time with it. And I, I also was not expecting them to sort of escape halfway through. Obviously there's a, a lot to lead up to that, but I was sort of on the edge of my seat the entire time because it's a very tense movie. When they're trying to escape, you're thinking, well, are they going to escape? I sort of thought that maybe she would stay in there. Maybe it would take a, like a turn for the worse and she'd just stay trapped there forever, but the kid would have some sort of a life. Um, but it did sort of subvert my expectations in that way. I think I this movie can be split into two halves. It's like one half in the room and one half out of the, in the room, room trying to adjust to... yeah out of the room and trying to adjust to um, everything that they've been through and the new world that they're currently in. But I really enjoyed it. I love in the second half where there's kind of like, the second half can also kind of be split up into two because you've got Brie Larson who's like struggling to comprehend the things that happen and like, obviously there's that scene with a reporter where like she says, why didn't you, like, tell the guy to let the kid go instead of keeping it with you? And obviously the idea of that has a huge impact on her. But at the same time, you have Jack who's discovering the world and discovering what it is to actually be a real, like, child. And I feel like Brie Larson's bits are, like, super bleak and depressing, but Jack's stuff's, like, actually really sweet and wholesome. And I love the duality in the emotions when it comes to that. And I feel like that's something that's kind of presented all throughout the film as well. Like it can at times be incredibly sad and depressing. And then other times it can be like really sweet and heartwarming. It's also yeah. it, 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 the countless number of times that um, her son, Jack would reference going back home to the room. I think after being there all his life, like us as moviegoers sit there and we, um, yeah, we, 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 we know that he's been enclosed in this room for five years. He has no idea of the real world. But for him, it was home. For him, it was his, his, his whole world. He didn't really know much out of it. And for them to like, for him to keep mentioning about going back home and for Barry Larson's character to have to say, like, this is home now, it, um, I don't know, that, that was just a good little detail that, um, that I enjoyed. That I like. Yeah, obviously, I feel like the implication is that he was born in the room. And um, maybe Brie Larson's character, Joy, was raped by this guy, old Nick. Just comes in every so often to give them like food and uh, new things and then has his way with her, which is, it's a very bleak setting to put these characters in. But obviously, Jack has been sort of told that there's nothing outside of this room. And um, so sort of... I don't think Joy would have wanted to raise him in a way that, like, oh yeah, all your life you've been trapped in this room, and there's a whole wide world out of there, but you can't go, you can't go outside of this room. I think that's the kind of thing that would sort of plague a child when he's growing up. Just like, well, why can't I? And it, it probably would hurt him. But then also, I didn't really like the fact that she sort of switches on a dime and goes, actually, you know what, Jack? There's loads outside this room, and you can go out there if only you'll help me hatch this scheme to get out of here. And that's like a lot of pressure to put on the kid. I'm not surprised that he was so angry at her. 
Yeah, I was, I was going to mention about, like, what did you guys think of the conversation where she, like, sort of told him that there's trees outside, there's a sky, there's more houses, there's more rooms, there's real dogs, real people, and shit, like, I, I, like, it was even her describing television to him, like, these are real people, um, that are just playing, as she said, dress up, and the cartoons are fake, and not real, um, as just the the kid trying to comprehend that, which um I can understand where her frustration would come from when obviously Jack was saying that it's not true and she's lying to him. But then, like like you said, it's an it's an immense amount of pressure to put on a five year old child, especially one that hasn't been adept socially, as you would expect a five year old to to be at that point in their lives. Um, and it was also like how how she came up with the plan, and it wasn't as just as simple as like like me and you talking to let's say our five-year-old nieces or nephews or whatnot just having like a normal conversation with them it was very like when she was like oh, you've got to wait for it to like she's like yeah wait for it to stop the car to not moving jump stranger and then give them the letter it wasn't as like normal as like wait for the car to stop then you jump out then you do this do that yeah there's a lot for him to take on board i do understand why that conversation had to happen but at the same time i feel like maybe it could have been done a little bit um better because it did feel quite sudden yeah um, yeah i'll agree with that still enjoyed it though yeah yeah well, there's like, like there's a like lot the- to do with sorry there's a lot to do with like how they act in the room and how they how jack acts because he doesn't know there's anything outside of it there's like a scene that I love where they're just like, Joy's like, um, the aliens are out there. We're going to call to the aliens. And because there's only like one window there and like maybe like a ventilation thing. But there's the room is padded out with like uh, soundproofing foam. And like there's like one shot where they just it just shows them screaming into the. Um, into the air duct or something. I just love that. Yeah, like, yeah we're calling yeah. to the aliens. So the aliens will pick us up. Obviously, she knows what she's doing, but he doesn't really understand it. Technically, in his eyes, the aliens would pick them up. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck is this? What did you guys think of Jacob Tremblay's performance in the film? I I thought he was alright. Uh, I mean, sometimes you get child actors, they're not very good, um, but it's like, oh, he's cute. Just put him in there. He's cute. He'll do it. Nobody will really care if his nobody will really care if his performance isn't that great. If he's just a cute kid, um, I did feel that a little bit, but at the same time, I thought he also portrayed the character very well as a child who is sort of plunged into the the real world, and he's got a um. That's another thing I think the movie does really well is portraying this child as someone who hasn't seen the outside world and is sort of coming to grips with it. They put like little nuances in his character. He's like trying to climb the stairs. I love that because he can't, he's never climbed stairs before. Yeah. He doesn't know what the staircase is. So he's got to learn how to do all these things. They get out. They're, they're more sensitive to the sun, obviously, because they haven't really had much sunlight. And that's sort of a factor that shows in their like faces as well. They're very, um, They've got like very dark shadows on their face. Look like they haven't slept in days. But I think that's sort of a 
a product of not getting as much sunlight. So I do like these little details that go into it, and I think him as a character uh, was very interesting. I will say that he does a lot of narration. Sometimes I didn't really grab onto it as much. He's just like talking about like the TV planets and like how he's how he perceives uh, the room to be and how he perceives the world to be. Sometimes I could get on board with it, but sometimes it just felt a bit too scripted. Yeah. I oh, see. I, I I was I was different about that. I absolutely loved the narration that he does throughout the whole entire film. I think it's a, a a very good reinforcement to where he's at in that type of space. Like at the beginning of the film, he's talking about it's it's a, yeah. At the beginning of the film, he's talking about how this is his world, blah blah blah. And then throughout the film, it starts to change. This like from him dealing with the outside world, like you've said. But I liked it. I thought it was a very good way to frame a movie. Um, and it was narration done well. Yeah, but my only problem I really had with him was it's in, in a lot of bits in the film, I felt like it was really obvious that the actor's not five. Like, he's, he was nine years old when they made the film, and I felt like there was a lot of points where just looking at him, I was like, yeah, that, that kid's way too old to be playing a five-year-old. I'm not going to lie, Chris. I do not look at children as intensely as you do, so I had no clue. <laughs> what can I say, man? I watch a lot yeah, of Yeah, I didn't really mind films. that, to be honest. Yeah. If you, were, if you <laughs> it didn't like completely child, take me out of the film. I'd... Yeah. If you're trying to cast a child and the age range is like five-year-old, I'm more liberal with the fact that you could hire a, an older child to portray that kind of age. Because if you get a five-year-old, one in a million shot, they're going to be that good. Yeah, yeah, you've kind of got to outsource to the older people, just to make sure you make them look a bit younger. I um, I like William H Macy, who's like plays Joy's dad. He's like in it very, very briefly. Um, I yeah, I like his performance in it. I think he's really good. It's just a shame he was only in it very briefly, but I understand why he basically comes in for a couple of scenes and then leaves. Yeah, he's not very well adjusted to it. I've got the feeling that he didn't really even like them being back. Or like he he wanted his daughter back, sure, but the the kid he didn't know the kid. Obviously, he was a product of like the room, I guess, and um, I think rape. it was. Yeah, I yeah. think it's kind of that he looked at that kid and all he could think of was the fact that it comes from the guy who raped his daughter. Yeah, yeah. and that's that's brought up when the reporter asks if she's going to ever tell Jack about his real dad. Like she says that it's yeah. not his, that being a father is like being there for your child and that Jack's just hers. And yeah, I think... I think that's a very real scenario that plays out in a lot of cases as well, especially when um, like, a, there is a child born of that circumstance. It's that, like, yeah, like, parents, a lot of them will probably not gravitate well towards that child, just for the circumstances of its conception. And I think, like, like Max said, that maybe her, like, Joy's dad did want his daughter back, but after seven years the person that comes out is not the same person that went in. Yeah, of course. And I think yeah. maybe he wasn't well-adjusted to, to that either. Or maybe it was just um, the pressures of everything with how much media attention they got. 
and just yeah. the, the shock of it all. I'm pretty sure at this point he was he more than accepted the fact that his daughter was was dead, not alive in a room somewhere. Yeah, definitely. There's um obviously that interview um that sort of got a lot of emotion out of me. I was very angry because you see it a lot in film and um even just an example of the world we live in today where journalists they try to get as much out of a subject as possible. I thought this journalist was being exceptionally rude though. And yeah. that's a sort of that's sort of thing something I'd equate more to like tabloid journalism. You're trying to get as much out of the subject as you can. Doesn't matter how how much like trauma you're putting them under because she's been through a lot. Um she's asking them asking Joy about if if she wants the dad uh, to be the dad, you know, just um, tell Jack that he was a product of Nick. Well, I guess it's... I don't think it's explicitly said that it's Nick's child, but I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, just, yeah. Um, just from the implication of it. Yeah, but that's like, it really got me very angry when they were asking about that, because it's like, you see a lot of that in today's media and in cases today. It always really gets to me. Especially in American media. Yeah. Obviously, Joy's parents. Um, I love that scene when she meets her parents for the first time. I was like, sort of welled up. This is obviously a very emotional movie. I was experiencing a lot of emotions throughout. And um, she meets her parents, and it's like this really sort of heartbreaking scene when she meets them again. They start hugging in the hospital. But as it turns out, they've been divorced. I think that's also another detail that probably would be overlooked in other movies that were trying to portray this kind of thing. Just why I love this movie so much. It's like just these subtle details that you wouldn't really think about, but it's like, yeah, if this happened, then this pro- these probably would be factors. The parents getting divorced um, and their marriage breaking apart because obviously after the loss of a child, marriages tend to break up yeah. more often than not. I love the scene where um, Jack escapes in the back of the truck. I think it's super tense, like the whole thing. I find it really exciting, but there's also like a a really heartwarming element to it in Jack, like just looking at the sky for the first time, like without a roof surrounding it and like the really um, loud, like triumphant music that plays. I think it's a really powerful scene. Which is when he starts to witness everything, he sees the tr- the trees, the power lines, the sun, the sky, clouds, everything, um, and uh, it, like throughout all of the the whole truck ride, I was like, "Is this fucking kid gonna jump?" And he's just like laying in the back of this truck, just like bewildered in, in what he's seeing, and like yeah, like you said, it, it is a very tense scene. It's like when um. He, like, because Brie Larson's character, like, wraps him up in a rug, gives him to this old Nick guy, and he walks out and says, um, like, she's, like, bury him by some trees, blah, blah, blah. He walks out, and for a second, he looks back in the back garden, and for for a minute, he's contemplating burying the kid in the garden. So, like, at that point, I was thinking, well, he's either going to bury this kid alive, or the kid's just going to be like, oh, I'm not dead, and be thrown back in there. And that was quite tense, that that part of the scene. Yeah. yeah. I got a lot of tension from that. I was on the edge of my seat when all that was happening. It's a very long sequence as well. So, to be, to hold up that much tension for that long, to, uh, that long a time, 
is also very, very good on the part of the movie. I also, I think one of my favourite scenes in the film is like, I think it's the last scene of the film where they go back to the room. Because obviously Jack says like multiple times throughout the film that he misses it and he wants to go back. And he finally gets to go back and he realises that it really isn't what he really expected. It's like way smaller than he remembered. It's There's less stuff in there now and he realises that it's not what he wants. And then he just leaves. I think it's a very subtle scene, like especially in his performance, like how he reacts to everything. But I think it's really effective and I really love that scene. Yeah. I enjoyed it too. I love how he sort of gives names to all the things in the room because for so long this room is just the whole world to him. He goes back, it's obviously a lot smaller to him now that he's experienced the wider world. He's like saying goodbye to like the sink, like goodbye sink, goodbye rug, goodbye wardrobe. <laughs> he starts the movie goodbye off Dora. by saying hello to everything as well, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. good morning, yeah. I really enjoyed that too. Just like they didn't refer to the room as the room. It was just room. Yeah. It was like a being. In room. Yeah. Yeah, that's all my notes gone through. Don't know if you have anything else, Max. I love how they sort of the room takes a toll on Joy's body. Obviously she's been in here for seven years. Or she's like looks really tired. She's like she pulls a tooth out. Disgusting, her tooth's all rotten. So she like gives it to Jack and he just keeps it. Yeah, and then that. he puts like it in a... his mouth. <laughs> that was gross. Yeah. Yeah, that was, yeah, it was pretty gross. I have a thing with like just things coming out of bodies like that, like teeth and nails. And unfortunately, that's a, a theme for a couple of these movies we're going to talk about today. But that was like, oh God, really sort of grinded my teeth at that I was like oh god no can't take it just pulling things out yeah. of your mouth and it's not nice but I always I always enjoy it in a sense because it's quite a visceral reaction that I get yeah um, Brie Larson actually won the best actress Oscar for this film I think it's definitely deserved I think she's really great in this film when yeah, was this film good. released 2015 okay so it was just the late years she became a dickhead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got no problem with her uh, winning the award for this. It was a very, very good performance. Also loved a lot of the um, a lot of the technical aspects with like the camera. It seemed to be handheld a lot of the time, at least when they were in the room. It's yeah. just like these handheld shots. It's a little bit shaky, but it sort of heightens the anxiety of it all. Um, obviously, and, and the sort of agoraphobia that they must be going through as well when they're when they're outside of the room because i thought well when you're outside of this room and all you know is for seven years it's only been two people or three people i guess there's got to be some sort of like stress and trauma when you come out of there so i'm not surprised that they both react in the way that they do i think it's a very very believable performances on both the main characters parts um i just thought man I couldn't, I couldn't begin to think what they're going through. It's just like a lot of, a lot of anxiety must be going around in both their heads, especially with Jack, who doesn't really understand 
everything that's been going on, especially because he's an impressionable young child. He's seven, he's, uh, five years old, even. And um, the rumour's all he knew. It's a very emotionally charged film. It's not, not a happy oh, yeah. one at all. Although there Almost is definitely cried. like yeah. a wholesome like theme kind of under, underlining in it. Yeah, definitely. I did keep almost crying during it. I was like, oh, yeah. God. Kept welling up. Just, um, I think f- yeah. the first time I watched it, I welled up a few times. And then the second mm-hmm. time, I pretty much just cried the entirety of the film. <laughs> yeah, not surprised. I did think, you know, if I was in this situation, I was in here for seven years, I'd just pull a Shawshank. <laughs> just keep scratching away at the wall, little by little. First day I'd do that, just make a few scratches. You get out of there eventually, in less than seven years, surely. It's not like super thick um, walls. It's like a metal, corrugated metal shed. Yeah. So, you know, you could get out of there in less than seven years. Maybe. That's like a one, one thing though, isn't it? Like, well, whatever. If you did do that, then it would be like, oh, you're just copying the Shawshank Redemption. So I get it in the context <laughs> of the movie. Yeah. Um, should we get into ratings then? Let's do it. Nice. Um, should we say out of, um, dead teeth? Oh, I was going to oh, say yeah. rooms. Nah, dead teeth, yeah. Dead teeth. Yeah. Dead teeth. <laughs> um, yeah, I love this film. I was worried that it wouldn't be quite as impactful and exciting the second time around. But I had quite a different like experience the second time. I found it a lot more emotionally powerful, and I still loved it just as much. Um, so yeah, I'm going to give this nine dead teeth out of ten. Lovely. Um, yeah, I also really enjoyed it. I'll I'll definitely watch it again at some point. Maybe not for a, a little while, but I I would recommend it highly to really everyone. It's a very accessible movie. It's on Netflix as well at the time we we're recording this. So give it a watch. Why not? Uh, yeah, great performances, great filmmaking. I'm gonna give it eight out of ten. Dead teeth. Oh uh, yeah, like you both said, really enjoyed the movie. I d- didn't didn't. This is a theme of a lot of the movies that I watch, especially ones that sound as boring as what this did. But I really didn't think I'd enjoy it as much as I did, and it's not boring whatsoever. That's what I just thought before watching it. Um. I liked everyone's performance. I recognise the the girl who played Joy's mum from somewhere, but I don't know where from. I've seen her in other movies, but for the life of me, I can't pinpoint where from. Um, nah, I don't know. Yeah, surprisingly, I liked Brie Larson in this role. Uh, the kid as well, good actor, and uh, I liked the premise of the film. So I'll give it a nine point five dead teeth out of ten. Nice. What the hell? Mm hmm. Lovely. All right. That'll make up for what I'm going to give the next movie. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So my recommendation is a French film from 1955, directed by... Oh, God. I hope I don't mispronounce this. I'm going to try my best. (laughs) Henri... No. Henri-Georges Clouseau. Or Clouseau. Yeah, that's what I would have said, to be yeah. fair. Henri-Georges Clouseau. Called Diabolique, or Les Diabolique, 
in English, I believe it's The Devils. This is a movie about two women, a woman who called, Jesus, what's her name? Christina. A woman called Christina. She's in an abusive relationship with her husband, and she wants a divorce, but he's not going to give it to her. So she plots his murder, and it's basically about the aftermath of the murder and how they go about hiding the body and the anxiety that she feels when this body goes missing. What did we think about this movie? Can I be completely honest? No. Yeah. I did not like this movie. This mm-hmm. Now, I'll start this off by saying that Max always jokes about the fact that I don't like movies pre-2000s, and the majority of the movies that I have seen that are pre-2000 I have not liked. Now, I'm not saying every movie that has made in the like early 90s, mid-90s, and the late 90s are bad movies, because I haven't seen every single one of them, but the ones that I have seen, the majority I don't like. Now, I don't think I can honestly give this movie a proper review, because I'm... Because I... I, 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 don't, I don't know. I can't give this movie a proper review... Because I'm not into this type of movie, and a, a lot of watching this movie is clouded by the fact that I don't normally like these type of films anyway, so I didn't fairly give it a proper watch. Um, I will say that, like I said to you guys in the group chat, I'm going to try and start watching more movies in the earlier eras, um, like more than I, I have done already, but in, in like as I was watching this movie... Before things were even given a chance, I was like, yeah, this is shit. Don't like it. I really didn't like the fact that it was... I don't mind black and white films, but black and white mixed with it being a 50s film, mixed with it being in French, it just took me out of the film so much, and not one bit of it did I enjoy. But that wasn't a fault of the film itself. That was just a, a fault of my opinion and view of the film. So... I think until I get over this whole notion that these films are fucking boring, regardless, then I don't think I can properly give the majority of them a good review. <laughs> or an accurate one. Yeah. It's a very honest way to put it. I'm not going to berate you for that. I do think a lot of older movies are looked at that way. And fairly so, some older movies, a lot of older, there are a lot of really boring, bad old black and white movies out there. So I'm not completely surprised that you feel that way. Yeah. Yeah, I completely understand where you're coming from. I do find a lot of like these like pre-60s black and white films, especially when they're like quite slow, I do find them quite hit or miss. Like there are definitely ones that I really do like, but a lot of them I do find kind of slow and boring. For me, this film was kind of more in the middle of them. There was a lot of bits that I did really love and a lot of bits where I was just like, okay, this is a little bit too slow for me. Um, But overall, I did think it was a a well-made movie. I completely understand the hype behind it and why it's so well regarded as it is. This is a highly influential movie. When it came out, it, it just burst onto the scene. People loved it. Um, this was, apparently it was one of the, 
not one of the, it was the first big movie ever to have a plot twist. No, oh, no nice. other movie had done a plot twist before, but this did it. And when it came out, everyone saw it and they were like, you can't do that. You can't do that. that uh, that's crazy. You can't do that. You can't but subvert obviously now my expectations. Um, yeah. But now obviously it's a technique that people use so much in other movies. This, um, there's, I, I've got the Criterion uh, Blu-ray and one of the supplements is a guy, um, I forget his name, but he's talking about um, how influential the movie was. And he's saying that, um, oh god, um, yeah, that it was like the first big film to be built around a twist ending. And um, there's obviously a spoiler card at the end that says something to the effect of, "Don't tell anyone what you've seen. Um, don't spoil it for them. Just let them watch this movie and experience what you felt." So I, I do appreciate that, to be honest. Especially because it was very unheard of at the time. I'm sure people were kind of itching to tell others about it. The plot twist was quite surprising, to be fair. Like, I wouldn't say yeah. it was like, when it happened, I wasn't like, holy shit or anything like that. When <laughs> it happened, I was like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But I, I, couldn't, I didn't like, predict it at all. Like, at all. No. And I can imagine seeing this in 1955 would have, like, blown everyone's mind and it did this was like Henri Georges Clouseau's Clouseau's first movie after um God what was it I forgot forgotten the name of it The Wages uh, of Wages Fear. of Fear yeah and that was like massive at the time and that that movie caught sort of cemented his international reputation as not just one of the best directors working in France, but one of the best directors working in the world at the time. Um, and this was his follow-up. I've not seen Wages of Fear. I'll definitely check it out, though. I really want to delve into more of uh, Clouseau's movies. Um, this movie was originally supposed to be done by... Well, Hitchcock wanted it. Alfred Hitchcock, Hitchcock yeah. wanted the rights to the book adaptation. Um, but like by hours, he missed it. Um, Gluzo got there first and uh, he made Diabolique and apparently the author of the book um, decided to write another one just for Hitchcock to adapt, uh, adapt and that turned into uh, Vertigo which obviously is huge Yeah and Hitchcock was heavily inspired by this first Psycho as well Yeah Yeah, yeah you, you can definitely tell because there's this is like a very Hitchcockian sort of film. Like it's very suspenseful, slow-paced, atmospheric, especially in like the last like 20, 30 minutes. It gets like, a lot of people like consider this to be a horror movie and I don't really understand that. But in like the last, the last act, I can see it. Like there's very, a great use of shadows and darkness and suspense that I really like. I, I loved the second half of the film a lot. The first half I wasn't too into. That was kind of what brought it down for me. But the second half is definitely where it gets much more like psychological and suspenseful. And I found that much more entertaining than the setup. Yeah. I also wouldn't really call it a horror movie. No. I might call it like a mystery crime thriller um, in a way. Um, there's obviously 
a scene at the end where she's sort of the main character's walking through a hallway. I was sort of blown away by just how good it looked and how tense the, the scene was. But yeah, how did you guys, what did you guys think about like the acting? Because I kind of think that when you look at movies of this sort of time, it's not really, you don't see the best acting every, um, really. But I thought at least the three main roles were pulled off really well. Well, this is, with with the acting, I would say, uh, how can I word this? There's them acting physically and then the dialogue that they use. And obviously, with it being in a different language, us just having subtitles, it's not something that I'm new to. I mean, I watch a bunch of anime shows that are only in Japanese. So... I'll have to read every episode in the subtitles. So that's not an issue for me. But when it comes to acting, I think some acting or a part of acting is enhanced by the way that people say the dialogue. Uh, whether it's flat, whether there's a lot of emotion in it, um, whether they like pronounce some words can just enhance the acting. For me, I really other than seeing them physically act, the dialogue-wise, because I don't, I don't speak French, I, I, I don't know what's emphasised in the, in the dialogue, I don't know whether they're pronouncing words in certain ways. I'm reading it as I interpret it, and I think when you're reading something and interpreting it in your own subjective view, it puts a subjective opinion, obviously every opinion is subjective, but when you watch an English film you can determine whether the dialogue is acted out well or not because we're accustomed to that language. I think in, like, with subtitles, reading it and interpreting it as you would read it, especially for me, I, I think a, a lot of that and misled me on the acting, so I couldn't really say whether it was good or not because I didn't really understand what was going on. In terms yeah, of, like, I think the... with, I think with foreign films, you kind of have to focus much more on, like their body movements, the, like their face, the way they, like emote via that, rather than the way they, emphasize words and stuff, or even like, how they sound, like in a way, like you can hear emotion in people's voices, obviously, even if you can't like hear how they emphasize certain words and stuff and i think you have to focus on that a lot more um yeah although i did do think the acting in this is pretty good i do think a lot of it's like a subject like um it's very representative of its time because i wouldn't say till like the mid 60s people really started to make the most of what you can do like in films when it comes to acting i think a lot of it still felt like stage plays just kind of filmed yeah. I feel like you kind of have that here. But well, I, I do think the lead actors are pretty decent in the film yeah. still. Yeah, well, one thing I just quickly want to touch on, which isn't a review of the movie, but I think it's very important for anyone that is in a similar position to what I am, when they're not accustomed to watching these type of films, is what you just said about not really relying so much on the pronunciation and the uh, and how dialogue is said, and the emphasis on certain words, and just going based on like facial expressions, movement, and stuff like that. I think that's very important. Um, but I think for me personally, because I haven't really watched a lot of films like it, 
it's probably a new skill that I'm going to have to try and learn. And that's just going to be a yeah, case of so. trial and error and just watching these films and looking out for these uh, these differences than just relying so much on, um, pardon me, on audio. And I think, I think, maybe, like, after, I will say, after watching this film, even though I didn't really like it, didn't enjoy it, um, I, after watching it, there was an appreciation for the differences and, like, how when we watch films today, they are just very basic and it's easy to just, like, you, it, it's a very basic view of, is the movie good? Is the dialogue good? How's it emphasised? Is the acting good? Whereas when you watch films like this, you have to... You, you can't just rely on these basic overviews. You have to really pay attention to the movie. And that's where you start to notice like small details and like whether an actor is acting the role, portraying that character with how they, like Chris said, portray their facial expressions, their movements, and how different words can enact different movements. And you have to really watch out for that stuff. And it gave me an appreciation for actually paying attention and and the art form that movies can actually be was I think and you can take this with like the Marvel Cinematic Universe although the acting's good I think it is just very basic in terms of people just watch it for the action they don't really pay attention to anything as in depth as what you would have to watching these type of films yeah well they're popcorn movies you know well yeah they're, they're a sign of the time that we're living in um I do think that's the good part of like this podcast is that we can recommend movies that we otherwise wouldn't have been, wouldn't have gone out of our own way to see. I mean, Maybe you we say can introduce that, each other to. No one said anything good about the Pop Star Christmas Special. <laughs> yeah, that was a bad movie. That's another good thing about the podcast. You can recommend these terrible, terrible movies and then dissect them. I love doing that with terrible movies. But this, I think, is a fantastic movie, especially for the time it was released in. I I got a touch on like the acting. I did think the acting was really great. Um and I don't really agree with like you guys saying that you didn't really get much out of like maybe the way they talked. I really enjoyed how they presented themselves. I really enjoyed like there's a scene when they're having dinner, they're eating like rotten fish. And there's another thing about the movie. Um Clouseau was kind of a bastard really. Um, he's he was not a very nice guy. Apparently, um, he made them actually eat rotten fish at this scene because he wanted to just get the realism down. And there's like the part where um Christina cannot swallow the rotten fish because it's so disgusting. And then um all the kids are like going off on one. They're just because they're they're at this school uh, that Christina owns, and they're all going off on one. Christina can't swallow the fish and um, Michelle, the uh, husband, just turns to her and he goes like, swallow! And everything falls silent. I was like, I just love like, his performance as well. I thought he was such a bastard. I love, just love to hate him. Yeah, he, really he does, a, got he does a really good job of portraying a character that is just a shit person that you don't like. Yeah, so you, you understand why she wants to murder him. Yeah, I'm not really, I don't really, I'm not like, she's kind of a grey character, you know, ooh, she's murder, I don't know about that, but because he's such a terrible person, you understand it, he's like, emotionally, physically, sexually abusing her, like, the whole time, and she's had enough with it, 
he won't accept a divorce. So, uh, to the guillotine. <laughs> well, to the bath, really. They drown him in a bath. That's a great scene as well. I love when, what was her name? Nicole, who's like Michelle's, uh, Michelle's mistress. She aids Christina, goes to a house off in somewhere in, um, uh, what's the name of it? Uh, uh, someplace in France and um, they go to a house that she owns and um, they sedate him they sedate Michelle with like um, I don't know some sort some sort of drug they put in the alcohol and then they have to like dr- she like drowns him in the bath I thought that was like terrific imagery it's really like a tense scene yeah it's a great scene and I love when they call back to it later where um, she finds him like in the bath and he slowly comes out. I think it's really creepy and well done. Yeah, that's a great, yeah, like we said, it's a great plot twist. He's like, there's the scene that leads up to it. She's like walking through the corridor and obviously she's been laid up in bed because of her weak heart. And fun fact, um, the actor Vera Cluzo, who was uh, the director's wife at the time, she actually had a weak heart, um, so that is mirrored in the performance. I think it's really good. And then she sees him submerged in the bo- in the bath. I love just like seeing like the water over his face again, and then he like slowly rises up as she's having a heart attack, and then pops out these um these lenses that make his eyes look dead and like overturned. Really weird imagery. Yeah, I liked it on the Criterion Blu-ray. They have that like a cartoon version of that image. I think it's really cool. Yeah, yeah. Really good artwork for the, uh, at least the, criter- the Criterion Blu-ray that I've got. I just really fell in love with like the cinematography as well. I think I'm someone who really likes black and white films when they're done very well. There's like just something I love all the time about like black and white films is like subtle things like smoke and Cigarette smoke. I just love when people like smoke in black and white films because the smoke looks really great. Um, and I think the cinematography in this film is like really, really neat, really great. Um, just like how the camera will move from like inside the school, it comes out the window, moves to another part of the school, or like it goes up to like a top window and then shows what's happening in that room, goes to another window, shows what's happening in that room. Yeah. Really interesting. I think my favourite sequence in the film is the whole bit where um they they're trying to get someone to find a body in the pool. So like she throws the keys in there, and gets a kid to go under, and they're all super super tense. And it just leads up to them eventually draining the pool and finding the body's not in there. I think that whole section's so well paced and so interesting and entertaining. I really loved that bit of the film. Yeah, really amps up like the anxiety that um, Christina must be feeling as well. You, re- I really get a lot of like anxiety and worry from her character. That pool is like disgusting as well. It's like, so it's not like uh, unheard of that maybe it needs to be cleaned because it's like got like a load of dirt in it. Yeah, loads of like mucky stuff in it. There's a kid who like he's like, I'll fetch your keys for you. He takes off his shirt and he dives into it. I'm like. Oh, God, that's disgusting. He comes out with the keys. He's like, 
um, what else does he find? He finds something that was from Michelle as well. I forget what it is, but yeah, really great. <laughs> really ugh, grimy, disgusting. Yeah, um, I don't have anything else to say about it. Don't know if you do that. I've got quite a bit, but I'll limit it, I guess. Um, there's like this thing about how Christina is quite religious. She's She's got like this altar or like um, someplace in the school where uh, her living quarters are. She's like got like the Jesus poster there. The, Je- the Jesus poster. Got a poster of Jesus with some candles there. And obviously she's trying to get a divorce, but she's put it off so much that because she thinks that divorce is a sin. And I guess that's more of a thing from the time, I guess, where you feel like you get married and that's for life. But this guy's such a bastard. You can't. You just want her to get out of it. Yeah. I love like that. That, that little the little boy, Moine, Moine, who's like um, he's always lying, so nobody believes him when he sees all this crazy shit. He's like, yeah, I saw the principal, who was uh Michelle. He's like, you didn't you didn't see him. Go stand in the corner over there. Think about what you've done. He's like, oh man. It's like he broke a window, and then he like. They think he's punished himself by like raking up the leaves. Yeah, love that little kid. And, <laughs> and then, then like he, afterwards, yeah, when I he don't says know what he it is, sees like, her right at the end, yeah. and then the film ends. I think that's a really great, like almost cliffhanger to leave the film on. Yeah, I didn't really understand it. it. Was like, no, come on, we saw her die. Unless, unless she's a ghost. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of love how like Michelle's sort of very high and mighty about himself. He's the principal of the school, obviously, and he doesn't want to... He, like, sneaks out in the dead of night. He's like, I shouldn't have to be sneaking around um, to come to you. It's embarrassing for me to, to think that my wife not, might not be... might not love me anymore. And, um... He's like, you've come all the way to... Uh, how do you pronounce it? Like, Nior? Nior? So you come all the way to Nior... You think I can afford to pay for this trip to New York? I'm like, you don't have any money, man. Like, she owns all the... She has all the money, and that's why he wants to, like... You see this switch right at the end when the plot twists, and it's like, oh, it was sort of a conspiracy type of movie all along, where her friend, who she thought was her friend, is actually against her, and she... um, She wants to... She's with um Michelle, and they basically want to kill Christina, because... Then they'll inherit the school. And they can sell the school, get all their money from it, go off someplace nice. There's one one quote I want to mention. Is like um from the uh, like janitor Plantivo, who says a lot of people who can swim drown because the ones who can't stay away from the edge. I was like, that's sort of calls the thought the nature of murder. I think and who can stomach it? I don't think Christina can stomach it. She probably st- should have stayed away from the edge, the edge of the yeah. pool where she was, but also away from murder, because it kind of ends up getting her killed in the end. Yeah. Also, I love the, te- the detective. What's his name? Fichet. He's just like, uh, I'll, I'll, find, I'll find your husband for you. Don't worry. Don't, I don't ask for any money for it. But he's like, I'm like, why are you doing it then? Just for fun. I guess he's just like some, yeah. some guy who comes along. He's like, she goes to the morgue to find his body, which 
isn't there, obviously. Um, he's like, why, why have you gone to the morgue? But you, you think your husband committed suicide? Even though, like, you were going off a news report that said there was, like, a naked body found in the scent. I'm like, if you're going to commit suicide, she's like, no, he says, if you're going to commit suicide, you probably wouldn't strip naked and then jump into the scent. <laughs> yeah, he kind of reminded me a little bit of the detective from The Exorcist, like, in some ways. Yeah. How he just, like, kind of appears everywhere and then shows up right at the end. Yeah, yeah. It was great. He's, like, snooping around. He's, like... She, I love the scene where she confesses everything to him. And he's, just like... Uh, you know, you go, go back to sleep. I don't, I don't care about this. You're not going to jail. He's, like, tomorrow morning you'll wake up acquitted. I was, like, all right, this guy just doesn't yeah. care. Yeah, great character. Um... Yeah, I think we can wrap up now. Yeah. Yeah. What are we saying out of ten, then? Um, let's say swimming pools. Sure. Um, yeah, I liked the film. I wasn't, like, head over heels in love with it. I think maybe on the second watch I'd enjoy it more, but I do kind of struggle with black and white slower films from this era so I don't know Um, I'm going to give it 7 swimming pools out of 10 it's closer to an 8 than a 6 lovely yeah I've seen this movie maybe 3 times now I was sort of along the lines that you were on the first watch Chris but I've sort of grown to get a deeper appreciation of of it as time has gone on Um, obviously this movie is based on a book there's like a lesbian relationship in the book um but they didn't want to replicate it in the film, I guess. They were a bit more conservative back in those days. Yeah, I think Quite they kind of do yeah. subtly hint at it, though. Yeah. At least as much as they can in 1955, I guess. Um, yeah, I love, like, there's not really much use of music at all. There's only music in, like, the, the end credits and the beginning credits. So you sort of get the, the tension when they want you to get the tension and not because there's like music telling you to be tense. Um, yeah, I, just, I love everything about this movie. Um, I do think it's a very important movie and I'm going to give it 10 swimming pools out of 10. Ooh. 10 out of 10 rating, eh? Um, well, I wouldn't necessarily say it was a bad movie, but I can't, for the life of me, say whether it's a good movie either. Um, I I don't think I'm going to watch this movie anytime soon, again, until maybe I've become accustomed to watching the type of film that it is. Um, and after everything that I've said, as far about the film, I think I'm just going to give it a, a 5 swimmer pools out of 10. It's not bad, but it's not good. Um, it's a neutral score, that's what I'll say. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. Yeah. That's all right. I think, I think, honestly, if I was just getting into film and I had to sit through like some really old black and white French movie, I'd yeah. probably feel the same it was, way it was, that you feel. It was fucking so. long as well. <laughs> yeah, it is just under two hours. Like Chris said, it's long. Like, wait till... You see the film that I'm picking for our episode with Reed. It's like three hours long. 
Well, uh, that's all right. <laughs> Great. Like Chris said, when I was watching it on YouTube, I was like, why the fuck does it say this film is like three hours and 54 minutes long? Yeah. Yeah, you got, so it's on weird. YouTube for free. And before you click on it, it says it's four hours long. But then when you actually start it, it's like, it says the actual I'm I'm pretty sure the version that I watched as well is like a 1995 remastered version or some shit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's like Um, a cleaned up version that they mm. did. Yeah. I think it was like taken straight from the Criterion, maybe. Yeah, probably. They do that a lot with these old movies. Um, Oh yeah, also one little bit of trivia left is that Simone Signore, who played Nicole, the uh, blonde woman, she only got paid for eight weeks of work when they were shooting for 16 weeks. And she had a contract to only be paid for eight. Apparently she fell out with uh, Vera and Henri-Georges Clouseau a lot. And she, it was like hell for her Not to surprised. film. Yeah. Alright, so I guess that brings us on to the last uh, film of this uh, episode, which was my recommendation, which was yeah. Castaway. Yeah, boy. So, what year did this come out? 2000. 2000, yeah. Um, so the story behind the film is that Tom Hanks's character is uh, works for FedEx, and he's taking a uh, shipment of FedEx packages uh, cross country um, over the Pacific Ocean. The plane—I don't think they ever found out uh, in the film. They—they they say they don't ever find out what what caused the accident, but essentially the plane goes down. Um, all three pilots are killed. Tom Hanks is the the sole survivor. Um, takes a, a a dinghy, ends up at an island where he spends the next like four four and a half years of his life stranded on it before he is uh, saved. Uh, and then it deals with the ramifications of what it's like to come back from the dead and have everyone that you knew move on with life and leave you behind, essentially. Yeah. So, uh, Chris, you said this was the best recommendation that I have given, so we'll start with you. What did you think of it? Yeah, I really liked the film. Um, there's just a lot going on. It's a, quite a long film. It's two and a half hours long, and you can kind of split it into, like, it's, like, easy to split it into, like, three sections, because obviously you've got him before he goes to the island, then him on the island which is spread over a few years and then obviously when he gets back and meets everyone like meets his the girl that he was in love with before he went and all of that stuff and I thought all of it was really well done um I kind of wished that there was a little bit more time spent at the beginning like establishing the character and the world that he was in and like his relationships with people and stuff like that because I felt like if it was established a little bit more it maybe would have been a bit more emotionally impactful later on um, when he gets back and obviously all this stuff's happened and he's missed so much I feel like it could have been expanded upon a little bit more but I don't think that takes away from the film massively Um, it's basically for the most part just Tom Hanks by himself so it would it it needs to be it's like built around Tom Hanks performance so if he wasn't good then the film probably wouldn't be very enjoyable but I think he's really great in the film Um, yeah I think he's very delivers a great performance really enjoy watching him yeah I've got a few notes but we'll get to that 
there wasn't as much time spent on the island as I remember when I watched it fucking ages ago. Yeah, I expected the whole film was going to be set on the island. I didn't realise that there was like half an hour on both sides of the film where he's off the island. Yeah, and the fact that there's a, a four-year time skip as well, I'd say relatively early into him being in into the island. Um, like for me, I want to know what happened with it, like within those four years, because essentially he's on the island. We spend about half an hour with him there. Then there's a four-year time skip, and that after that time skip, there's only about fifteen minutes where he's fifteen twenty minutes where he again. I mean, I'm not. I'm not entirely sure with these times exactly, but it's relatively short. Um, with him before this four-year time skip, and then even shorter after the four-year time skip of him escaping the island. Pardon me. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, I really, I did enjoy this movie a lot, and I will agree that it's uh, probably Connor's best pick for the podcast so far. Um, you wait till the second pop star um, movie, mate. You'll be surprised. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm not generally like the biggest Tom Hanks fan in the world. I, I think he's he's quite a safe bet most of the time. He's a good actor. I just don't really get loads from him a lot of the time. But I think this, I really got a lot from his performance. This is probably the best performance I've ever seen him do. Nice. It's yeah, definitely I- up there. I I will say that I don't really. I've I've watched a lot of Tom Hanks movies, and again. Like Max said, I'm not the biggest fan of him because if it's the same reason why Robert Downey Jr. for me is a is is a very good actor, but they're both just so typecast. I mean, yeah. RDJ plays mm. the exact same characters in every movie. Tom Hanks is similar in the terms of I don't think he'll do anything in a movie that will ever portray him as a bad person in the movie. In fear that it will portray him as a bad person in real life, it's just too safe in my in my opinion. Yeah, I found that was kind of a, yeah. a problem with the film, actually. Like, I feel like it would have been a lot more interesting if, like, at the beginning of the film, he started off as, like, a bad guy and these years of isolations had such a huge toll on him that he kind of saw the error of his ways in some way. And that's kind of what I went into the film expecting because I feel like that's kind of, like, would have been the better way to tackle the story, in my opinion. Think maybe if yeah, I agree, he was a bit of an arsehole early on. Then by the end of the film, where he's going through, gone through this huge emotional journey, seeing him like being a nice guy suddenly, it would have been a lot more powerful. But would you not say that that is not at the time, but now? I think that's just very common in in most films that are set like that, though. So that you'll have an arsehole character that will go through an experience that will change his his view. I don't think this film was intentionally meaning to pick up on the attitude of Tom Hanks's character Chuck but more it's it's what I'd say was the same with um Room or The Room sorry uh a lot of these films focus on the the ramifications of what happens I mean for us it's easy to think that if you're stranded on a on an island or if you're kept captive in a in a room for 7 years getting back into the world will feel like a massive relief. Both these films show the very realistic reoccurrences of what happens after. I mean, 
Tom Hanks loses the love of his life um, and she marries on, has a kid and he's left behind. I didn't really think that he had a, much of an emotional connection to a lot of his friends. Um, and again, all of them had just moved on in the same aspects that in the room, Brie Larson mentions that she has no idea what any of her friends do now. And after the interview of the reporter, she ends up trying to OD herself. And I think it's a very realistic look on the dark tolls that being away from society can have on you. And even though you do come back into society um, after being, again, isolated for so long, for us it may seem like a good thing, but there is very realistic and dark ramifications that that can have on an individual that necessarily aren't very good. And I think that's what that film was focusing uh, uh, more on. Yeah. Um, honestly, I think, like, maybe even... Also, fuck the GCHQ. It would have been... <laughs> I think maybe it would have even been better if, like, maybe he got back home and it just it didn't really click for him. He has lost everything. He's lost his fiance. He's lost, like, really everything that tied him to where he was living. Maybe after he got back, he was like, "Oh no, this isn't this isn't for me." He goes back to the uh, he goes back to the, <laughs> to the island. Do you know? Do you <laughs> know? What, the rest do you know life? what would have been a good, good story plot to have? So instead of him going in as an arsehole, going through the experience, coming out nice, if he went in nice and then came out an arsehole, <laughs> just thought, yeah. "Fuck it, what's the point?" I um I loved the scene towards the end after he meets up with his girlfriend again and like they kiss have like a big moment and he decides that she needs to be with her family and he leaves and he's having a conversation with someone and he basically just says I lost her a few years ago and now I've lost her again I thought that was a really powerful scene yeah um, I feel like that's one of the only times you really see the deep emotional impact it's had on him like you see him actually like getting the emotions out a problem I kind of had with the la- the third act of the film after he gets off the island is he doesn't really seem to be that bothered by it it doesn't really yeah what happened hasn't really had this huge mental toll on him like it think it would have in real life he just kind of gets back into it like super easily and I thought that was a bit of a shame yeah, it was it was so flat, his performance afterwards, because like you said, it just seemed like he was so... Like, it could be the fact that he was just so emotionally numb after the experience, and so overwhelmed, excuse me, um, that maybe he hasn't processed the feelings yet. But like, when you watch it, like Chris just said, like, there, there's the, you'd expect someone who has been left behind by everybody... To either have like a breakdown or just shed some form of emotion over the fact that everyone has left him behind because they all thought he was dead. But there's nothing. He's fine with it. He just delivers this fucking parcel and then like turns around and is like, yeah, I'm going to get with this woman now because I delivered a parcel to her. Like, what? Have Have you guys heard what apparently that final parcel was? What? So the director, Robert Zemeckis, there was like a Q&A and someone asked him what the the phone was. And apparently it was a satellite phone that he would have been able to use anywhere in the world. Fuck off. No <laughs> <Yeah>. way. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Pretty far. Brilliant. 
I don't see what that's. Yeah, there's a lot of I, there's a lot of fuck yous like that in the movie. <laughs> like when he's um when he gets he um he gets his car back and his uh ex fiance gives him back his car keys. There's like a little knife on there and. Or like when he goes back to his own place, he's like a lighter. Uh, he clicks the lighter and the fire comes up. It's like, oh yeah, he probably could have used all these <laughs> things on the island. See how easy it is to just make fire like that. He's got to go through this whole rigmarole of trying to create fire. And I got to say, I do agree. I think his his performance when he's on the island is much more compelling um, than when he's off it. He turns into like a completely different character because he's got to be like this sort of caveman type type of guy trying to figure out how to make fire, how to crack open coconuts like sharpening rocks and stuff um yeah his the sections on the island are definitely my favorite bits of the film they're very there's yeah. like long stretches of silence and it feels very empty and desolate and then eventually brings in wilson the the famous b- volleyball mm. that he falls in love with um that gives him something he falls in love with it i think it's just his mate yeah <laughs> he falls in love with he's like really a good mate yeah falls in love how you'd fall in love with just a friend Chris, you don't yeah. fall in love with mates. You, you, you love your mates. You don't know that, man. It's a nice platonic love. <laughs> like, Chris, are you trying to say that you're in love with me and Max? Because if you are, we have to re- reevaluate this podcast. Anyway, moving on. Well, to be fair, I mean, like, he was there for four years. We didn't see him for four years. We don't know what he did to that ball. <laughs> Max is insinuating Tom Hanks fucked a volleyball. <laughs> There was a Family Guy episode where there's like a scene where he just he has the volleyball and he just starts fucking it and he just says sorry Wilson. <laughs> oh, so funny! God, I love Family <laughs> I Guy. Oh, my uh, ages ago, my one of my friends on Facebook would just like, would send each other really fucked up videos, and um, he sent me this one video of this guy fucking a fish, <laughs> and like watching this movie, I just thought. Do you reckon at some point Tom Hanks just decided to fuck a fish that he caught? <laughs> it's possible. And my God, that guy must have had so much, like, so much built-up sexual tension for not banging anything for four years. You Maybe. poor man. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a lot to say about Tom Hanks' performance in this, obviously. I said I didn't really like him when he was off the island. But because it's just him that we're following... Him and this football that he's got blood on and made a face with. It's like, it's a real testament to how good Tom Hanks can be when he's put in the right situation. I'm not saying that he's like, he's, he's always good, but he's never, he never stuns me. And I really think he stunned me in this. Yeah. Just how I, great he was. I mean, he didn't have to work off anything. Nah. I, I, I was watching this Watch Mojo list a couple of weeks ago and it was, um, like the top ten films with only one actor or predominantly like one actor. Um, and one of the films was a film called Buried. I don't know if any of you guys have watched it. The Ryan Reynolds film. Yeah, yeah. I've now I watched, watched that. I've watched it. It's really good. It is literally. It's the film is one hundred percent Ryan Reynolds. No one else is in it. Not even for like a brief moment before or after. Um, the only interaction that he has with anyone else is via a phone and so I started watching a few movies with just one actor in or predominantly one actor in and um, watching Castaway when he's on the island 
was definitely one of the better ones that I have watched. Because like Chris said, there are long stretches of time where he wouldn't say anything. And it just really added to the, the isolation that he must have felt like. And like Max said, there's there's not much for him to work off. And it just creates like an atmosphere where you could imagine the scenario. And it just like, for me, it really brought me into the movie. Yeah. So you get like good physical performances as well. Yeah. Like obviously he doesn't need to speak a lot. Like um so he has to use his body in different ways. Yeah. It's like before the before and after the four year time skip on the island. Beforehand, it was he walked he he acted like a normal person. He was walking like you'd expect someone to walk, um, would talk how you would expect someone to talk, all of that sort of stuff. After the four year time skip, his physical acting just completely changed her what, like Chris said, you'd expect of, like, cavemen or very indigenous people. Yeah. Um, obviously, he goes through a lot of trauma, a lot of ache in his life. I love when he, like, goes up to the summit on the uh, peak of the mountain, um, tries to see if there's anything that he can get get to uh, home from, but obviously he can't. Skips four years later, he goes back up again because he needs some more rope for his raft. And he pulls up this rope, like 30 feet of rope, because Wilson told him there's good 30 feet of rope up there, mate. So he goes up there on Wilson's behest, and um, he pulls up the rope, and it's like a noose attached to this wooden carving of a man. And we learn that he, at one point, he tried to um, see whether it would be viable to actually kill himself. It was like such a dark moment, but I really loved it. Yeah, that was great. Apparently with Wilson, they actually like, in the script, they wrote him lines so Tom Hanks could always act off something. Alright. Just imagine if if there was a variation of the film where they like, gave Wilson a dubbed over voice. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking yeah. this volleyball talking maybe back, in a, to, back to Tom Hanks. Maybe in a less... Um... Well, in a lesser movie, yeah. they probably would have done something like that. I think I'm just like going to hallucinate. When, when I eventually get a PC that's more powerful than the shitty laptop that I'm using, I'm just going to bring the whole movie of Castaway into Premiere Pro, and I'm just going to dub over with lines for Wilson and re-release it. <laughs> Sounds as my good. Criterion version of Castaway. <laughs> Castaway, the Wilson edition. I like it. Um, but I'll give Wilson a Jamaican accent. <laughs> I loved the um, plane crash sequence. I thought it was so well choreographed, and I think the effect work and everything in that is so well done. Oh, yeah. It looked really good. Do you know? It really felt like they were falling. I'm not scared of... Uh, uh, I wouldn't say scared. I have a fear of, like, very, very open water. Not in the sense of... So, Max, you know when we went to Kavos and we went in the sea, which was open water, that was fine. But if you put me in, like, the middle of the Pacific Ocean, where there are waves the size of houses, and it's just pitch black, I shit myself. Yeah, uh, and I'm I, the same. I would fucking be terrified. And when, after the plane crash, when he, like, inflates this dinghy, I'm just sitting there, like, watching this movie, like, I would be fucking terrified in this moment. Yeah. If I'm just surrounded by nothing and there's just all these humongous waves and it's just a, another form of isolation that is terrifying. 
Yeah, you definitely get the fear across. Yeah, I will say in that in that sort of scene when he was um, uh, he he crashed into the ocean, I sort of noticed quite a bit of green screen in there. And, like some of the CG wasn't too convincing. It sort mm, of took yeah. me out of it. Um, but the plane crash itself was really intense. I really got a lot out of that. Yeah, just him. It, it just it, he's in the toilet, and then all of a sudden, just there's a loud crash, and the door flings open. He's like hanging on to the door. Very, very, yeah. very sudden. Terrifying. Yeah, and I like, like that. that poor, that poor pilot that stands up to help him gets his head bashed in. It's like profusely bleeding, and then just it's crushed by mm. like a load of FedEx packages hitting something into him. It's like that, at least he died straight away. Yeah, yeah, it was brutal. Yeah, I love the part where his body like washes up on the shore. That was something I had kind of an issue with. I was like, "Are you going to bury him? You going to bury the corpse?" That's dinner, mate. <laughs> I think at that point the the flesh would have been rotten, mate. Yeah, it was all like grey. It just looked gross. Mm, yeah, it's been been underwater. Well, you take what you can get. Been under been underwater for so long. Well, he eats crabs, doesn't he? Yeah, for like four years. Yeah, I like it when a diet. I like it when only it, crabs and coconut. Water. I like it when they they have that like um homecoming party for him, and he's walking around the table. Of all the food, and he just picks up the crab, and it's like, "Yep, I've been eating this for like the past four years." <laughs> yeah, never gonna eat that again. Yeah, I like when um his ex fiance uh asks if you want like different kind of milk in his tea because she doesn't have the milk that he usually has. I'm like, he's probably thinking, literally anything is good with me. I've been sucking water from <laughs> coconuts for four years. Um, do we have um, anything else to say about it? Uh, yeah, I'd yeah. recommend watching the movie. Oh, yeah. I love the scene where Wilson essentially dies. He he, um, he gets untied from the raft. It's a, it's a very emotional scene. You wouldn't expect like just like a volleyball or like a football floating off in, into the water so he can't get it would be like that emotional. That's just but a credit to the acting really in the film's build-up at that moment, really, isn't it? It's It's done well to put you in that mind space of when... Like, it's like the waves go up, and then as soon as they come down, Wilson's just, like, 10, 20 feet further away, and you're just like, yeah, you're not getting this guy back. And his, his choice is to save Wilson, or to stay with the raft for safety and salvation. And it's like, yeah, he had to leave his mate behind. Yeah. It was really sad, honestly. I was like, oh, man. Wilson! Wilson's probably thinking, at least I'm not going to get fucked anymore. <laughs> Um, I I don't have any more to add on on the movie. Don't know about you you two. No, I think we've covered. No, anything. not really. Um, you think he got his pension after he came back? I'd like to think Sagan, so. Sorry. You think he got a pension from FedEx after he came back, or they were just like, "We live in a capitalist society, mate. You're going to come back to work." Yeah, he he probably got probably spent it all on hookers. <laughs> So deprived of. I'm, I'm gonna call you Wilson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good movie. Let me just let me just paint your face red. <laughs> With me own blood. So should we say out of ten Wilsons? Yeah, I think that's the oh, yeah, yes. course. Yeah, I enjoyed the film a lot. I'm glad I finally watched it because it's been a film meaning to watch for for a long time. I've had the DVD for like almost 10 years now. I just never got around to it. Um, 
I'd give this seven Wilsons out of ten. Very entertaining movie. Wonderful. Yeah. I also found it to be very entertaining. Not a lot of it was particularly boring to me. I sort of engaged from beginning to end, mostly when he was on the island. Um, Again, I do think this is one of Tom Hanks' best performances. Um, And Wilson is one of the best characters to grace the silver screen. Yeah. I'm going to give this... I'll, I'll also give it Seven Wilsons out of ten. Um, yeah, like Chris said, I haven't watched this movie in a long, long time. This is only the second time I've seen it. Uh, acting was really good. I, I loved the whole entire film. For a two and a half hour long film, it didn't feel like it. Kept me engaged. And I would highly recommend watching this film. So I'm going to give this eight Wilsons out of ten. Nice. The, the second Epic. longest film we've watched on the podcast after Goodfellas. How long was Goodfellas? It's like yeah. two minutes longer. Oh, wow. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, even in that film, it didn't feel like I was watching a two and a half hour long movie. No, definitely not. It's what happens when you watch the cream of the crop, the best movies. Yeah. You don't even feel so, um, next week. So re- next week's recommendations are animated movies. So Yeah, we actually have a theme what's everyone? Yeah, what's everyone got? What's the uh, what's the Rex boys? Take it away, yeah. Chris. So I am picking a film that I watched two days ago for the first time. It just came out a couple of weeks ago, and I really, really loved it. And I think we can get an interesting conversation out of Soul, the new Pixar movie. Is that on? Nice. Is that on Disney Plus? Yeah. Okay. I sent you my details yeah. yesterday, so you can just watch it on my I account. I didn't realize Dick's. Uh, Pixar was owned by Disney. They are indeed. Disney Pixar movies. Sure are. Um, yep. They're, they've sort of dropped off a bit recently, mm. I think, with their movies, but apparently this has been getting yeah, good reception. Sp- spoiler alert, this is the best film they've done in maybe about 10, 15 years. In my opinion, anyway. Cool. Can't, wow. can't wait to watch it. This would be the first I'm Disney Pixar movie it. that I've watched in about 10 years, in all fairness. You've not missed a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, can tell. All right. My recommendation is a 2009 movie, stop motion animated. I want to recommend this because mm, a few months ago, I think on a different podcast, Connor said he hadn't seen this Please movie Please tell me it's Wallace and Gromit. <laughs> um, no, it's not Wallace and Gromit, but this is one of my favourite movies and one of my favourite animated movies. It is Coraline. Nice. Great oh, film. Oh, yeah. No, no, I haven't watched that. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Great movie. Where's Where can that be found? Just so I know where to look. Um, on DVD and Blu-ray, but don't worry, I've got the Blu-ray. Cool. Um... Right, so my recommendation uh, is going to be Batman The Killing Joke. It's probably one of the better Batman films that are that is out there, based off a very well-known and probably one of the best Batman comic series or runs that is out there as well. Um, you don't necessarily need to be a massive fan of DC to understand the story. It's a self... W- w- how, how would you describe it? Self-contained. It's a self-contained film. 
So you don't need to have any pre-knowledge of watching any Batman series before this. It's just a standalone. Um, and I don't know if that's on... I think it may be on Netflix, but me and Chris have the DVD Max if you need to borrow it. So I haven't seen lovely. it, but I love the Can't comic, wait. so looking forward to it. Yeah, yes, yeah, it's, it's very good. Do you, do you, you do have it, don't you, Chris? I, or I do am not. I remembering that incorrectly? Okay. I think it may be on Netflix. If not, we'll just... Sorry, um, I'll find my ways. <laughs> the, Very ominous. The government's watching right. that. He doesn't mean illegally downloading it. No. I wouldn't <laughs> do that. That's illegal. Well, that is. We don't do illegal things here. Nah. Only, we, only the GCHQ do illegal things. Indeed. And that is episode 12 of the Sunday Movie Marathon. Max, this is episode Thank you for 13. Listening. Please. It's not, okay? It is episode 12. Thank you for listening to episode 12. We'll see you in episode 13 next week.